Children from a dark house choose shadowed paths. Bonjia, and welcome to the Legendarium Green Team's Malazan series. Welcome to episode one of the House of Chains series. I am here in Van, and I'm joined today by Befuddled Panda. Hello, everyone. Yes, now as a boy. Hi. And Ashman. Ah. Salut. Today we're covering House of Chains prologue through chapter four. Spoiler warning for those. Uh, we'll be using our normal discussion format. So, Ash? Yeah. Start with the prologue. Troll Sengar is shorn and then abandoned to drown. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, what's up with that prologue? I mean, all book one is just Karsa, but we introduced some like gray skinned dude named what was troll. his name again? Troll, troll. Sengar. Yeah. Wait. Sounds like Trell or Troll. Hmm. Is he the dude that they found in Memories of Ice that was bloated and washed up on the beach? No comment. I thought maybe it might be that, but it, what I'm gathering at least is that he's Tyst Edor, and I suspect that his brother, the the one that was like leading the group, uh, is the one that they taught that Shadow Throne warned uh, Paran about in uh, Memories of Ice. Mm. Isn't it interesting that uh, it explicitly says that he had done nothing wrong? He's innocent, and they're doing this horrible ritual to him. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. so sad. Mm-hmm. He probably had really good hair, too. Oh, poor guy. Right? That was the biggest and don't boss. all the Tysidor have pretty co- crazy cool hair? Huh. They've got, like, long braided hair and stuff. Well, their hair doesn't come out braided, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure there are cultures that don't do that. So, uh, Panda, yes, any thoughts about the prologue? Besides, <laughs> besides um, memories of ice tie-ins? Well, they did. It did say short squat had been the inhabitants, flat feature, the pale hair left long and loose. Their world had been a cold one, given the thick padded clothing they had worn. And that wouldn't be talking about the Tice Edor, right? No. It sounds more like the city. Yeah, it's just short and stocky. Um, And also, yeah, this this Warren was recently flooded. It was not Mm -hmm. this way before. There was one thing. Um, so it, it talked about huge catfish and wagon-wheeled-sized spiders. And in these four chapters, we did see catfish, which makes me think that maybe we will see these wagon-wheeled-sized spiders. And I hate spiders. Yeah. So I appreciate spiders as roommates, but I don't want them close to me. I love spiders. Same. I know. They, they kill mosquitoes. Yes. Yeah, but... But mosquitoes aren't really a problem where I live. And I just, I can't. <laughs> yeah. So the, the squat, the squat people that it describes, those are the, the, mm-hmm. the pure kin, right? The new enemies that, that he sided with, that he was like singing the praises. That's how I read it. He's in trouble because he was like, oh, our new enemies, we should be friends with them. They're the pure kin. And it's when it's describing these inhabitants, these corpses, the short squat people, are, are those the pure kin? Well, that, all these ones are dead, so. Well, right. Yeah. Yes. I figured maybe whatever happened with the Warren is what alerted them to these new enemies, quote unquote. I don't know. I don't know either. I, you made me realize I forgot a lot of what was prologue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, I have some thoughts that aren't spoilery. First of all, I really like how this is set up. You have a blameless man who is being cast out by society, which uh, lets you know that the society is probably not in the best of spots. Uh, you have the leader um, who explicitly is sharing out the crime and making everybody in the party complicit. Um, and mm -hmm. you have the flooded Warren, which is not supposed to be this way. All of which are really cool things to set up. And this is our first glimpse of the Ticed Eater that is in any way substantial. This is the first episode of it. This is the first time we get to see them talk, which is a very interesting way to introduce them. Mm-hmm. Agreed. We want a chapter one? Oh, also, there's one, one, one last thing. One last thing. There is, uh, there is a line said in the prologue. <laughs> we get to, we get to know their purpose. Uh, they have to deliver something to him. They are searching for something, and it has to be delivered to go to grow stronger. You mean the Tysidor are searching for something, and they have to deliver. To who? To their leader, the the guy who's changing their ways. Mm -hmm. Him. Oh. Who, oh, right, right, Who right. may or may not be the tyrant of pain. Right. Uh, so chapter one? Mm -hmm. Excellent. Chapter one. Karsa, Byroth, and Delum embark upon an adventure. They raid and rape the Rathid, and Karsa establishes himself as the Alpha. Twice. <laughs> as if there was any uh, doubt. <laughs> right. I really did enjoy the part where Karsa uh, established himself as the alpha among the, the dogs. Mm. That was... No, um, and his mate. Yeah, that was exciting that was to really read. Cool. So, mm -hmm. so what about the scene at the very beginning of the chapter with the dog barking? That's like maybe like over 100 years before the mm -hmm. action of the... What, what is that about? There's like the dog goes mad and bites some people, and then the kid that survives gets sacrificed to the faces in the rock. And I I went back and read it again to see if I would get it, and I still came up yeah. with nothing. It happened centuries past, long before the seven gods opened their eyes. So I had thought that because the dog had savage a woman, an old man, and a child, and I had thought maybe the woman was Karsa's mother, but I don't know if that actually lines up because I think Karsa's mother was killed or done away with Karsa's only after like 70 the seven. Years old. Oh, really? Karsa, yeah, Karsa's like eighty, isn't he? Okay. Yeah, but uh, that's still not okay. centuries. Just ago. a child. Yeah. Yeah. So if it's buff, hmm. it, hmm. I have no idea. Yeah, maybe it's related I mean, to why the seven woke back up. Like they were Talani Mass, they got buried or uh, whatever. Like, and then something about the blood of the child helped wake them back up. Maybe, and it took centuries. I don't know. Or maybe well, it's like a metaphor for what happens later in the story. Yeah. I have no idea. Don't know. Uh, it does say that it's Uragol, the Woven's Year. Mm -hmm. We know who Uragol is. We do. We do. Well, kind of. Yeah, kind of. You know, uh, he's, broken you know, he's, Mass. Yep. So let's move on since there are no ideas being thrown out. Um, <laughs> I want to go back to Gnaw because when I was first reading this, I was really surprised by Karsa's uh, compassion for the dog. 
because I don't yeah. I don't know about you guys, but he doesn't kind of come off as a compassionate guy. Hmm. <laughs> Karsa is a man that is full of surprises. He is very much portrayed in one way as like kind of just a dumb jock, and uh, I think he does does that deliberately. But there is a lot going on behind. Mm-hmm. Really, I I think in the first two chapters he really is just a dumb jock. No, 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 because he shows that, especially to Byroth, that he has, like, thought through this raid, basically down to the last detail. Um, yeah, and does like some very being a jock. Well, he's done some like, very, he very can't cri- strategic things. He can't things. think critically at all about his own culture or the history of his people or, like, his grandfather. And Byroth and Dellum are, like, levels above him in understanding how, th- how um, the world works. Sort of. I I I think I don't think he can't think critically about it. He just he refuses to. He's you know he's drunk the Kool Aid, um, but he's Obviously also he's very yeah he's very intelligent. A lot more intelligent than people gave him credit for. But I agree with Cunning, too. Yes. yes. Yeah, I did think that. So I read chapter one fairly quickly, and mostly because. There's not that, you know, switching of POVs all the time and a bunch of new characters getting introduced at the beginning. Um, and when I was reading through these, you know, these first four chapters, I, I kind of got lost about what Karsa's motivations were for taking this journey. And so I had to go back and reread. And the only thing I can really gather is that, you know, he's grown up listening to his grandfather's tales about his adventure um, to the Silver Lake and his victories there. And um, then it basically just says that Karsa wants to revive his clan's reputation. He feels like too much of their glory has been in the very far distant past. And there's not that much stuff in the recent times. Especially since his father didn't take any such journey. Um, and so he sees the Urid as had grown complacent in their position of preeminence among the Teblor. Um, which I I guess I can kind of buy into that motivation. Um, but it, it took me a while to to process like, oh, this is why he's taking this journey. Well, um, he actually, at the start, just kind of thinks his goal to himself when he's standing before the Seven Faces. He says, I have heard mm-hmm. the oldest words, the whispers of the one who will unite the Teblor, who will bind the clans one and all and lead them into the lowlands and so begin the war of the people. These whispers, they are the voice of promise and that voice is mine. So he wants to establish himself as a big war leader and then unite the clans right. Genghis Khan style. And, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like what you know what is the seed of that motivation mm-hmm. because by himself right like nobody else uh among his people has this it seems like maybe there i mean i guess we do see that there is some external influence on this character mm-hmm. i think quite a bit yeah yeah he's he's definitely being manipulated by the, the faces in the rock yeah at least at mm-hmm. first <laughs> um carson makes two vows this chapter mm. Uh, one, he says, the wrath and war ladle shall bow, shall bow before me. And the other one says, one day she will lie gray-nosed and fat be- before my hearth. And that's for Gnaw, the dog. Uh, it's her Gnaw's mate, the three-legged dog. Oh, she died. So I guess that one didn't happen. Yep. He makes a lot of vows. <laughs> but he does not keep them all. Um, also, uh, 
He's very confident. Yes, he's a very confident man. Uh, this is Erickson's take on the noble savage trope, by the way. Mm. Yeah, after you read the book, uh, we're going to definitely talk about that essay that he wrote about it. Yeah. Okay. Uh... What do you guys think about Tebalor culture? It's pretty awful, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of made me think a bit of, um, you know, like the closed door policy that China had for a while, where they they became very insular. Ah, yeah, Japan did that too, uh, for uh, for quite a while. That's true. Yeah. Japan did the yep. Um, so, w- w- my question about Tebler society is like, why is it the way it is? Because they find the writings about Hikarium like teaching them that they have to like uh, go back to the the ancient ways of being raiders that they used to follow far in their past uh, when they were Thelam and Toblakai, and um, they uh, there was something about like sickness uh, and like deformity, and they built this like culture of like sacrificing a bunch of the children uh to the seven uh but i'm not clear like how the things that akarium like taught them would and and uh would help with them with sickness or like what the what the issue was my understanding is that they're a fallen race and that there were very 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 few of them left and their blood had become clouded or poisoned or something we don't really sure why and so the one man, I guess with Akarium's help, split up all of everybody. And because there were so few, there was a lot of inner what's it, incest. Mm-hmm. And with incest comes deformities. And so that that's the, the call for the deformity. And they wanted them to forget their past, or I guess not their ancient past, so that they could become what they once were. Yeah. And uh, yeah, specifically they want to breed the... Toblakai traits to be strong again, which, you know, is understandable because why be puny human if you can be a giant? It's like eight feet tall. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, they, they split apart the families at the start and then just put them in a bunch of tribes and then set the tribes to raid each other because through raiding and rape, you get genetic diversity introduced back into the populations and such. Yep. Uh, okay. And... Did did we get confirmation that there's actually Odoteral like present in the region where they're living, and that's why they're all like Odoteral infused, or is it something about them that has to do with Odoteral? Uh, I think it's just Odoteral was in the place, and then they made blood oil out of it. Mm. Okay, yeah. yeah. I thought the blood oil came from like the trees in the area. No, they get it from dust in the rocks, and then they mix it with a mixture. There's bloodwood. The bloodwood is the tree. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they wipe it onto the bloodwood, and that makes the bloodwood much stronger and uh, more dangerous. Which I mean, if the Otoro dust is there in the region, then the trees are probably like sucking it up as well yeah. and being influenced by that. And then you so have the, the... the effects that the the shamans can't really use magic anymore. It's just in very low level sort of ways in dreams and stuff. So is is the blood oil? Uh, Odotaro as well? It's mixed with it. They make it out of Odotaro. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Mm-hmm. And now we are very much past chapter one. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, he asked about Tebler culture, and we find out about that, like, in all of the chapters. Wait, yeah, that should be a 
end of this. I was thinking like initial anyway. things about a culture that raids and rapes each other, but you know, it doesn't hurt uh, to steal from were the you future. Th- thrown off by his uh, killing of children. <laughs> children. <laughs> um. Honestly, at this point, like we've seen so much death and like violence against children. I was just. I didn't think too much of it until we got to the parts where we understood more about the Lowlanders. When I first read this, I was like, obviously I didn't like Carsa because he's just a bad guy, but I'm just like, wow, like Erickson's really trying hard to get us to hate this guy. Mm. I'm going to yeah. go kill the children. <laughs> yeah. And it's not clear in the first chapter at all that they're giants. So I was like, why is he going to go kill children? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. it, it, it was weird. Although, of course, he does do a few bits of foreshadowing, which, you know, you can pick up on in the later reads. Um, there was one part where Delum warns, so in chapter one, <clears throat> Delum warns Carsa that the youth that they let escape, which, which um, we later find out his name is Damask, mm-hmm. will become an adult and he will not be content to follow, he will lead. He must lead, and none shall challenge his fierceness. The gleaming wood of his will, the oil of his desire. Karsar Orlong, you have made an enemy for the Urid, an enemy to pale all we have known in the past. And I mark that as foreshadowing. That's not Damask. Damask mm-hmm. is the uh, lowlander that gets away later on. This this was a terrible child. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. 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 Damask is a like an underling of Silgar. So this is not the... Okay, so there were two youths that he let escape. One's not a youth. One's a child. It's an adult lowlander. That's Damask. And the youth that you just referenced is a Tablor youth. Tablor. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, so he didn't really let Damask escape. He just kind of escaped. Mm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we get a scene late in the chapter where... They have killed all the youths and elder in the village and are going to rape the women. And the women seem to take this as just a matter-of-fact thing, and some seem kind of eager for it. Yeah. Which is... Yeah, it's 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 a it's a interesting take, I think. Because, <laughs> like, undoubtedly, this is, this is rape. They're doing it not, not really because they want to. Karsa and his friends aren't really interested in the notion of consent. I mean, that's what they call it. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting culture. Yep. I, I think a lot of this book is might be about, you know, cultures and uh, morality inside and outside the culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and also Carsa uh, makes two babies, at least. Yeah, that was the scene where I decided I really hated Carsa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he broke that young girl's heart. Damn. She was smitten. She was smitten, and then, <laughs> oh my god. Was she really? Well, sort of. No, she she. They got a weird. I did not culture. read it that way. She they took it very really personally that uh, he didn't want to know her name. He didn't care about her at all. He just wanted to call her Dayless. Right, I got that part, but I didn't get the part that she was smitten. Yeah, was, exactly. Was smitten, which is like you know. Okay. Not completely horrified at the events. <laughs> My mother said oh, you were very soft and gentle. Yeah. Yeah, she she was like, oh. You, you, you're gentle. Just, I guess better than being just violent. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, it's a, it's a messed up culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's what's with this fascination with the Dayless? 
It's very annoying. It's very annoying. <laughs> he just wants her because his friend has her. She's the girl next no. door. Next tent. She must be up. like the, the, you know, sh- diamond of the village or something. Person gives off real incel vibes there. Next chapter. Um, well, first, Byroth seems to be at the at, at least at the start. He seems to have a more level head than Karsa, which is interesting. The, oh, absolutely. Yeah, the seven faces or the seven gods are like we could we, we can't use Byroth. He's too inquisitive, which is interesting. Yeah, he, 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 he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't hesitate in questioning the faith. Mm-hmm. And once they find the writing of the rock later, he's just like, yeah, this is true. We need to talk about it. And Carson's just like, shut up. Although he still buys into the culture. Yeah, he does. Yeah, which is, I think, interesting. The the best person in Tebor society, I think, is Karsa's father. Yes. <laughs> Cynical. Cynig. 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 Yes. And he throws out Polk. Yeah, I love that Polk scene. Is, from his yeah. I liked that scene. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. They finish eating and he just throws them out. Yeah. Yeah, I was not expecting that to happen. Uh, I have thoughts on Cynig, but they are going to wait for chapter three. Okay. Although, are, are we done with chapter one now? I've been done a long time. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> chapter two. The history of the Teblor is revealed. Calm is released and Della misplaces some brain juice. The first children are encountered and slain. Karsa and the boys raid the farm, which has grown in the past few centuries. Byroth and Dellum are killed and Karsa is imprisoned. Karsa makes a new friend in captivity, makes a brief escape, then is shipped to the mines. Oh, a lot happened this chapter. Yeah, it was a really long chapter, almost 100 pages in the mass market. Forkasal. Forkasal. Four cruel assail. That was cool. She is terrifying. Yeah, she was bringing peace, but it. Yeah, and they didn't think, like, what kind of peace? Yeah. Notably, it was Byroth who was the most vocal proponent. Right. Yeah. Um, I would have freed Calm. Uh, I probably would have too, if only because I was curious. But uh, boy, was that a mistake. Okay, so you know when you watch a scary movie and you're like yelling at the character in the movie to not open the door or like don't go in the house or whatever that creepy place is? That was me reading the scene. I was like, don't lift up. Don't free the demon. Don't free the demon. Yeah. But the and demon could have been them Pearl. to free the demon. <laughs> it was not. It was. Not it was Pearl. Pearl, but it could have been. Um, no, no, it could not have been. I'm not saying it's always a bad idea to free a creature that uh, has clearly slain tens of thousands of other beings and was, you know, subsequently trapped under a rock. But I'm not not saying that. <laughs> I thought it was the compassionate thing to do. Mm. <laughs> no, man. And she seems to see something of Karsa's potential or his future, which is interesting. Yeah, she, she kind of spoke like that. a. She kind of spoke a prophecy, yeah. right? Yeah. In which she kills Karsa. I have the prophecy here. There will come a time when he stands poised to change the world, and what that time comes, I shall be there, for I bring peace. When that moment arrives, cease guarding him. Step back as you have done now. So you have something to look forward to. I mean, if yeah. she's correct. If she's correct. She is a many-jointed creature of her word. I have a question for Yesna. Yes? Do you do you think Byros is really dead? Yes. Okay. He did lose a head. The reason I ask... Yeah. <sighs> yeah, he did lose a head. But the reason why I ask is because... Um, in the previous chapter, like 
the the found the 24 or whatever of those hidden people they were they said one would make it mm. um and then it ends with perhaps yep so it's like well it could be that you know Carsa is the one that makes it but could Byroth be like revived or maybe none of them will make it i don't know because she's Calm is saying this prophecy to Byroth. Mm-hmm. Isn't the idea of someone with like an unnatural amount of joints in their limbs really unnerving? Like, yes. how does that even look? That'd be so weird to watch. It would be like that. Uh, I've only seen a little bit of Stranger Things, but that like creature in Stranger Things, maybe. Ah, yes, that one. The demo. The demogorgon thing. Uh, well, the demogorgon's like Morgan. it's. It still has, like, a regular amount of joints, right? I don't know. Like, Calm can, like, just bend all bits of her into different places, and I assume she's double-jointed, which is, you know, freaky anyways. I feel like um, if another author wrote this, that Byroth Guild would have been the protagonist. Yeah, I agree. Especially, I was thinking about what it would be like if it were from his perspective. I really liked uh, the way that Byroth Guild... Uh, dealt with like the battle mask with Dellum mm-hmm. and ha- and how he like differed from Cars's opinion on that. Yeah. He yep. has a very fatalistic view of things. To to Byroth? Yeah. I like how Byroth and Dellum both kind of talk above Carsa and he just kinda of doesn't understand what's going on. <laughs> Although Dellum I think was given pause when he realized the true scope of sorry. Uh for until he, you know, got brained. Yeah. He does manage to win their loyalties. Sort of. <laughs> but but Carsa, his response to Dellum acting on his loyalty was not a positive. He was like, well, <laughs> Dellum should have just stood back like Byroth. Like, it's his own fault for, you know, yeah. going after Calm. And it's like, you jerk. Right. I think that was him trying not yeah, to Yeah, it, it reminded me of Gruntle and his perspective about Harlow's death. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Mm-hmm. Or Nall. And then they murder a lot of people in that village. Yeah, they murder a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, the only people I'm happy about is the bounty hunters, because, you know... I'm not saying that they deserve to die, but bounty hunters are not good people. <laughs> like, those kinds of bounty hunters. Uh, I think other ones can be, like, morally neutral, at least. These guys kind of remind me of, like, poachers in Africa, except for the things they're poaching are, you know, sentient <laughs> beings. You're talking about the Silver Lake village? Yeah. Yes, when they... Yeah. Uh, Silver's they people. The yeah. Yeah. I, w- I kind of want to go back to um, them finding the carving, telling the history. Mm-hmm. Um, so some dude, like, carved this, and it was noted that it must have taken a long time to carve this mm-hmm. in, the, Years. in the rock. And there was a Karen in the cave, which meant that somebody had buried that person. And at first I thought, you know, when we were reading it was, you know, some dude like hiding out in the cave who was persecuted. But I don't think that's the case. Maybe. Like somebody else. Karim really gets around, doesn't he? He does. (laughs) Well, we already knew uh, that he had been to Genabacus before this. He's yeah. probably been everywhere. Yeah, this is uh, after the Talani Mas learned the lesson about Ikarium that they just couldn't kill him. 
in uh, Seven Cities. And also there's another Jaghead around. Okay. Um, so the two words that Karsa couldn't read from the, the histories were Great Villages and Yellow Bark. Mm-hmm. And I try to look up Yellow Bark from the things that we've read, and there's no mention of it yet. So this is the first mention of Yellow Bark. Well, this, is, this isn't really a, a future thing. It's just it was money. They don't have a concept. Of Yellow currency. bark is money. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And the, the so they great were very, villages or cities. Very prosperous. Uh, well, they had like a concept society. of money before, and now they've lost it. They're they're like the very tribal people now who just operate on a very communal mm. sort of thing where they don't like maybe they do a bit of bartering, but for the most part, I think you just have to you know subsist off the land. I see. Okay. Barbarians. Bar, 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 why bar. why do you think Karsa is so against the history that they found? Because Delam was like, I want to know more. I want to know more. And Karsa's like, no, man, too many words. He doesn't like the truth. He's, just very... He's afraid yeah. of what it will do. It's uh, difficult being told what you've believed all your life is a lie. Mm, but Byroth seemed to know all about it. Uh, Byroth is like a cynical guy. Mm, okay. <laughs> no. Uh got away and i'm happy about that or at the very least got away you know probably got away because of healing (laughs) of the god yeah carsa found a statue of fenner i think (laughs) man fenner can't catch a break in these uh these books (laughs) no that's a good catch i was like "Hmm." yeah i wonder if that action had any repercussions but i yeah do you think we'll see this regiment of malazan soldiers again I think so, because, I mean, mostly because I've seen people say things just vaguely mentioned kindly and pores. So I'm like, okay, we've been introduced to them. I'm waiting to see more. Yeah, my my notes say, oh, yay, another bunch of Malazan soldiers Erickson will make us love before they die. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) probably. I really like the scenes with the soldiers and Silgar. And them tricking Silgar into giving them a bribe and then ratting him out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I believe yeah. that's a crime, isn't it? Yes, it is. It really is. <laughs> this really happened? It did. Shocking. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Malazans by no means are like a, a moral paragon society. But at least they aren't like taking slaves in that way. <laughs> and Destroying just them. They're total minds. Yeah, exactly. Um and only if they've uh, committed crimes of some kind. Right. I just have to say, like, the amount of effort that, like, everybody goes through to um, keep Karsa enslaved mm. or, like, a prisoner is kind of mm, mind-boggling to me. Yep. Like, they had to spend so much effort uh. to bind him and it's so it's very dangerous and yeah. once you put yeah. that much effort there's also the sunk cost fallacy yeah i mean silgar he stops him by using something that they use to stop den Rabi. right isn't it uh no that's the lesson well, made you don't know and rob that was that en- silgar and rob it's no. the oh i thought it was silgar because he was a priest of male the first time he stopped it's because he falls onto a spike which impales him and then the second time he stopped by the molasses yeah He's kind of like John Wick. At the, at the time that he's in that magical net that's used on Dinrabi, Silgar is a prisoner bound for the Odotero mines. Right. 
Well, it it, ha- it takes place while he's bound like that. Because they, they capture him, and then Silgar's brought in. is like, ah, oh, you want to bribe us? And then... Right. Yeah. And then he escapes, and then they get in with the Don. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we meet Torvald Nam. Yeah, another Nam. Mm-hmm. That was very exciting. The introduction scene was quite interesting, wasn't it? Yeah. It was disgusting. <laughs> so... But yes, it was interesting. What do you mean? It... To drown his friends. <laughs> oh. In sewage. Yeah. Mm. It was. <clears throat> I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was funny, too. <laughs> it is funny, but it was also disgusting. I thought it was, I thought it was funny after Torvald Nam actually real, realized he wanted to live. Yes. I, I had a change of heart. <laughs> yeah. I have it. Karza turns the log and he's still alive. He's like, well, pretty impressive. He, he, saw, he said he saw a blue uh, or a brown smear just kind of <laughs> yeah. trying to escape. And he's like, okay, I have to turn oh. it back over. <laughs> I don't know if it's in this chapter, but I like that Karsa asked him if Aldaru talked this much. Mm. <laughs> he makes uh, he makes the point that uh, a lot of noms do, but there's also another family uh, that you can't make them talk. He has a cousin, an assassin. He was... <laughs> <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Enough uh, talking. <laughs> it, this, is, this is kind of filling in some Krupp gap here. Uh... For, for House of Chains. Not as funny and mm. you know, but lots of words. Yeah, this is this is where Carcer like really starts being forced to change. Uh because he he's sort of a static character until now. He's he's resolute in his beliefs, he refuses to change them, even when he's given opportunities to. And and he is he is more than he seemed before now, but now he's like forced to do a lot of introspection and think about things and realize that lowlanders are pretty dangerous in their own right. He starts having also, regrets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially about Viros and Delum. Mm-hmm. And thinking deeply about his culture and the implications of leader. everything. Yeah. Yeah. The way that the Sunnied are... Uh, Broken? Their culture is degraded and then they are enslaved. I thought was really interesting and also I feel like it rang pretty true. Like they were seduced by... Their youth were seduced by... The money and the things that they could do with it and eventually sold out their parents. That's how cultures right. die. Mm-hmm. And then the youths who sold out their parents are enslaved themselves because they didn't have good uh, uh, fiscal policies. And it was a systematic process by Silgar, too. He's a bad dude. He's a very bad man. <laughs> I So I don't actually hate Karsa uh, in these first four chapters. I hate Silgar more. That's fair. Yep. Because Karsa, even though, yes, he's not, like, a good guy, he has a moral compass. It's just skewed. <laughs> That's a good way to You know? Um, he does have, like, principles and that he follows. Whereas Silgar is, well, we'll get into it in, like, chapter three. Like, he's just Despicable. bad. Mm-hmm. It, uh, yeah. Karsa's nature really brings into question how much you can blame the culture that someone comes from because he's very much a man of his culture and it's very possible that he would be completely different if he was raised in a different environment Um, Mm -hmm. and not um, being manipulated by yes some other malicious gods yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah chapter three yeah good with chapter three 
Chapter 3. Karsa is given time to reflect. Divine intervention causes him to be freed in a flooded warren. They find the Salanda and kill an important NPC. A collaboration with Silgar provides an escape from the warren. An amateur paleontologist rearranges Karsa's ribs and they head to a nearby city. So... Sorry, could I, could I get in? Oh. I have a quote from the last chapter I forgot to say. <gasps> oh, okay. So, it says, I pray that doubt comes to you, that it tempers you with its wisdom. Those heroes that are legends, Karsa Olohang, they were terrible. They were monsters, and they were strangers to uncertainty. I think it's really good words. Yeah. Uh, Erickson really does not like people who think uncritically about their world or worldview. Certainty is something to be afraid of. Yeah. Yes. All right, we go back to chapter three. <laughs> it's okay. So we see the events of the Salanda from another perspective. Yes, mm-hmm. that was very exciting because once there was, like when we were reading um, the prologue, right? It was about the gray bodies. Anytime I hear gray bodies, I just think Tice Edor. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's going to be untrue at some point in time. But for now, it's it's true. Um, and then the mention of the silt um, in the water. I was like, wait, mm. is this the Salonda? But then there were too many ships. And I, I, I was like, no, wait, what is this? But then, yes, we got there. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. Um, yep. That's um, how I have... Uh... One fun thing to note is that uh, when, when they were playing this through, and this this was one of the things that was game, do we know? Uh, the captain was not meant to die. Oh. Yep. That was, uh, that was a natural oh. 20 right there. <laughs> <laughs> right through the chest. Right through the chest. Interesting. Um, but Karsa has a lot of plot armor <laughs> like for his character he has a lot of armor armor that too yeah but like him against the catfish torvald's like you can barely stand he's like watch me doesn't matter witness um witness, witness. so much witnessing mm-hmm. happens in these chapters by the way he gets that idea and from then, byroth mm. yeah. Byroth is like, we'll be your witnesses. And then from then on, he's like, witness. <laughs> um, and then him against the shark. <laughs> like, he, he killed the shark so that he could get a piece of what, Borog back and mm-hmm. then bring it to the shore. Yep. He was under this his care. This is why I say... He, Borog, yeah, he was yeah, under his Yeah, he has a moral compass. Yeah. It's just How dare that cute. shark? <laughs> I thought it was cool um, that there were so many chains. There were a lot of chains. Lots there are a chains. lot of chains in these chapters. A storm um, of chains. Yeah. A storm, like it's literally raining chains down on <laughs> Okay, I had a question about that. I thought it was a metaphor, but was it literal chains? Uh, yeah, chains like of a sort. I don't think they were necessarily just like metal chains that were coming down from the heavens. I think it was just like lightning that came in the form of chains. That's how I interpret it. Okay. Who do you think? I thought it was like chains of lightning, but who do, hmm? who do you think brought the uh, the storm? Does Yasna know? At the time I was reading it, I thought it was it had something to do with the crippled god or something. But then I don't know with all the stuff with the. With Urgal and uh, I don't know, no idea. I don't think it was Carsa. 
I don't think it was Carsa either. <laughs> I think Silgar thinks it was male. Mm. Oh, the the water god? God of the seas. God of the sea. Yeah. He, he was a priest of male. And, uh, later we on also says, know another priest of male. <laughs> who is, uh, of course, the fan favorite, Malik Rel, a gestal priest of male. Right. So later on, uh, Silgar thanks male, and Torvald, Torvald says, I'll thank the giant. And Silgar says, then your faith is misplaced. <laughs> Do you think Silgar called in the storm? I think Silgar thinks he called in the storm. I'm not certain. Um, mm. got, you guys have just seen his worshippers, but what kind of impression does this give you of male? Okay. Nicole, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so you got Silgar and Malik Rell. Mm-hmm. And the, as we know, in the series. Yeah. Priests sometimes take after their gods. So they're treacherous, which, mm-hmm. you know, the sea is treacherous. They're very self-serving. <laughs> very least. self-serving. And betrayals happen. So... And not necessarily in the case of Malik Rel, but in the case of Silgar, they're very like mercantile. He's very mercantile character, and you know the sea is associated with mercantile stuff. So I don't know. Of trade, making money. Yep. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not saying you will, if you ever meet Mel, yeah, just keep these guys in mind. Oof. <laughs> Maybe <clears throat> the god will be better than his followers in this case. Um, I'm not sure if we learn in this chapter, but we definitely learned in this chapter or before. The uh, Talani Mas, who Carso is following, were not the original gods of the Tebler. They usurped the positions. Right. We had a, I were they, they had the original faces in the rock? They were um, the faces in the rock, but the faces in the rock came later. Um, the Tebler, uh, like the Barghest, who uh, were heavily influenced by the Tablaki, uh have uh, spiritual gods, like gods of their ancestors, stuff like that. And they're, uh, they're not around anymore. I just, I just think it's interesting that we have, uh, I think, our first hijacked faith in the series. Mm. I did, I think we didn't really address this so far, but we did piece together that the seven, um, as mentioned for the, by the Teblars, are Telonimus, mm-hmm. and how I figured that out was uh, when on the Salanda it was starting to rain like slimy mud, and then there were just so many pieces that came together. Um, Did you go back and especially read the first, when they were uh, sighting of the seven? Yeah, they were. If you go, re- go if you go oh. back to chapter one, like the second or third page, and like they're all talking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Broken yeah. broken means failure, and it was a dishonorable failure. Mm. I think it also says that they kind of like did the Talani Mas thing and kind of turned it into dust. Think so? I don't remember that part. They also had uh, somewhat uh, tribal names. <clears throat> Seven figures rose from the ground, skin wrinkled and stained bl- dark brown over withered muscles and heavy bones. Okay, yeah, that that part, when I reread that part, I was like, okay, it has to be Telonimus because of the rather withered bones, mm-hmm. and they weren't bleeding, and... What yeah. stood out to me was the way they came out of the ground. Yeah. And then they returned to the earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, stars looked down on a glade where no gods dwelt, where no gods had ever dwelt. And all the apostrophes in their names. 
That's a giveaway. Yeah. Well, we haven't talked about the Keeper yet. Who is Urko? You think so? Yeah. Yesna Yesna put it together. Uh, I put something together. Hopefully it's something approaching the truth. So the Keeper has a bunch of gold that he stole from the uh, Arin treasury. And he supposedly died from drowning despite uh, being a terrific swimmer. Uh, And we know at least two people that did that were the Napon brothers, Carther on Crust and Urko. So unless uh, Carther on Crust did a brief stint as a paleontologist uh, before captaining a vessel, then I'd say this is Urko. I, I think they drowned. Yeah. No. Just went away. N- Nippon are notoriously bad swimmers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you make boats so that you don't have to swim. If you're a good swimmer, why make a boat? <laughs> Think about it. Well, because you can only swim for so long. Like people swimmer, who are just yeah. afraid of drowning, refusing to take swimming lessons. <laughs> <laughs> or you just, you know, do the ritual of Talon and you can just travel across water as dust. I do think that Yesna is right. The thing that did trip me up a little bit was just how wrong uh, the Keeper was when he um, punched Karsa <laughs> and, like, he actually managed to crack some ribs. I was like, oh. Kar- Karsa okay. fainted for a bit, too. <laughs> yeah, okay. The amount, the number of times that Karsa blacks out. Mostly from pain. <laughs> is... A lot. Yeah. Is a lot. So much. He is. He goes through the ringer. Yeah, he he's he's a bad person. But if you believe in retributive justice, uh, he's definitely gotten his punishment because he was essentially tortured for uh, many months. Right. And can imagine that punch. He always bounces. Yeah. He always bounces back. He always bounces back. Like he doesn't. He's immune to infection. He has healing powers, and he's like. He doesn't need that much rest and sleep once he's recovered from his wound. Mm-hmm. I mean, this dude is like invincible. Toblakai are superior life forms. <laughs> also, yeah. Also, Karsa is just—he has so much determination. He is—he's he probably the most driven person we've seen in the series so far. But see, like this is where you know it's not just his species or race or whatever. Toblakai is considered because Delum, Byroth, they're of the same mm-hmm. species. Race. It's fuzzy. But <laughs> but they obviously did not make it, as we've seen. Yeah. So it is something specific about Karsa. And I think the determination is... Also help from gods. Is a, and help from gods, yes. But uh, yeah, just, just refusal to give up can... It can take you a long way. And, uh, you know, we, we see that a lot with humans as well. It's just, if you just don't ever give anything, then, you know, it's you can do pretty extraordinary things. Mm-hmm. I did like the part where Torvald Nam uh, played up that maybe he was a claw. <laughs> and sowing doubts. <laughs> Mark. Oh, so you called Lucina what? <laughs> <laughs> Like maybe, maybe it's part of my mission. I have to get into the Otara mines. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, also showing his uh, moral code, Karsa let Silgar go, which he did not have to do, and had 
very good reasons to not do. Um, there was a, a quote from the chapter mm-hmm. where he's Karsa is uh, reflecting on the his people in Toblo society. His people's rules of conduct, the narrowly crafted confines of expectations, its innate conservatism that crushed dissent with the threat of deadly isolation. These were what had defeated his grandfather's courage. And that, I think, is the same note that we had in Memories of Ice, where Whiskey Jack said diversity is worth celebrating. And he was talking to Humbro Tor, mm-hmm. um, for it is the birthplace of wisdom, mm-hmm. which then... Tor is a bar guest, and bar guests do come from Tablor. They come from interbreeding between Tablor and I think Talanimos. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and yeah. So on the species thing, species are usually when you can't breed with each other to make uh, viable offspring, but Toblakai mm. can breed with humans, or at least Talanimos. So. Like, what? what is this, the distinction? I don't know. We would have to ask, I think, a biologist. <laughs> Maybe Kip can tell us. I don't know. <laughs> um, I actually have a quote as well from, like, two lines down, uh, when Karsa reflecting on his father. I saw your mistrust as weakness. Your unwillingness to, to participate in our tribe's endless, de- deadly games of pride and retribution. I saw this as cowardice. Even so, what have you done to challenge our ways? Nothing. Your only answer was to hide yourself away and to belittle all that I did to mock my zeal. And <clears throat> yeah, there's obviously uh, you can you can see flaws with society, and you can think yourself high and mighty for you know observing them. But if you don't do anything to change them, like are you really any better? Um, mm-hmm. Sinig never never tried to you know alter the alter the things that he saw that were so wrong. He just kind of sat back on the sidelines and made jibes. Um, yeah, he kind of closed in on himself. Yeah. He taught Karsa how to fight. He taught Karsa how to fight, yeah. <laughs> and he gave him his horse. He did. Yeah, he did give him his horse. That poor horse. I, I, um, I, I, I understand I his position. Yeah, I do too. You're, you're right, it is cowardice like that he didn't do anything, but it's, I can't say that I wouldn't do the same in his situation. Yeah, it's it's a difficult thing to you know try and change a society, um, but someone's got to do that. Mm-hmm. And usually it's better if a lot of people do it instead of just one person. <laughs> His wife was killed because of it, right? His wife was killed by the Seven. Mm-hmm. Next chapter? Sure. Chapter 4. In a stunning turn of events, Silgar, the slave owner, turns out to not be a great guy. Karsa learns that free tattoos aren't all they're cracked up to be. Torvald rescues Karsa, who teams up with Leoman and joins the revolution. Cool tattoo. Yeah. I did not figure out that Karsa was Toplakai until like right before it was revealed. Uh, but then afterwards, afterwards, I was like, oh, it was pretty obvious because um, in Deadhouse Gates, there was so many mentions of Toplakai's wooden sword. And the souls he carried with him that were chained mm. to him. And also his... Uh, yeah. Uh, showmanship. He would he in Deadhouse Gates. He went up to defeat that monster, and everyone's like, "No, you're yeah. gonna die!" And he's like, "You'll see." Yeah. Not sure. I'm not quite sure if he says witness, but he sa- he essentially says that. And then yeah, Leoman with his light blue eyes. Mm-hmm. Well, and they're even called children. The souls that are chained to him in Deadhouse Gates. 
Mm. I totally forgot about that. Leoman with his piercing blue eyes. Though I think Haboric calls them children. And did Haboric have enough insight to know that Karsa would think of them as children? Or... I mean, Karsa's also just slain children, so, you know. Has he? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. And, and there's there's a moment where he blacks out, and he just knows that he's killed a lot of people, so. Yeah, he. I think he killed the children of at least the merchant family in uh, at Silver Lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a lot of houses he goes to, and he just kills every one of them, except for uh, one yes. girl who he rapes. <laughs> yep. And gives her blood oil, and she goes crazy. She goes really crazy. That is something like oil. out of a horror. Yeah. Blue is scary. Yeah. Uh, Mebra is such a jerk. Mebra. I forgot he was on this chapter. <laughs> I mean, he's a spy, a so I <laughs> can't really expect much more, right? Ugh, he's so slimy. Yeah. yeah. He's good at I don't, his job. I don't, I don't like Karsa and Leoman, so I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, he does his job. You don't like Leoman? Yeah. Is that for reasons we don't know about yet? He's on the uh, he's on the rebellion side, and I just don't care much the rebellion. Mm. That's fair. Are we going to get a more sympathetic uh, view of the rebellion in this book, or is it just going to? Well, okay, we know this from the the synopsis, so this isn't a spoiler. There will be a lot more about the rebellion here. A lot. That doesn't mean it'll be sympathetic. No. I mean, there was a lot about the you know, fantasy barbarian in this. It wasn't sympathetic. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was unsympathetic. I think, I think okay. Carsa was painted in very fair light, not, you know, biased very, one way or the other very strongly. The, the um, rebellion is a rebellion. Yes. Uh-huh. For good and for good. And Ill. Well, the, the whole thing about like, Oh, you know, priesthoods, um, were shattered and, End of human sacrifice and extortion. Merchants getting richer. Roads are safer. So yeah, it's right for rebellion. Mm-hmm. Like, do you do you agree that those are the um, didn't, reasons why? Didn't that come from uh, Torvald as well? That was sarcasm. It, it, it was sarcasm. Yeah. Okay, got it. He's, yeah, he he's basically he's natives. Yeah, he's bashing the rebellion there. Although he did fight okay. on their no no he fought in the Genabacus. Uh, rebels. <laughs> Although I'm not, I'm not entirely sure why he did that. <laughs> uh, Torvald's an interesting guy. Were they rebels? I thought he said they were bandits. They were bandits. Well, you know, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. <laughs> the I bandits mean, think you... that they're doing a, like, a, a good thing. They're resisting they? the, uh, they're resisting the oppressors. You know. I mean, bandits are ban- like just robbing people, aren't they? They Isn't weren't bandits before the Malazans came along. The last How do you know that? Is what made them bandits. Pretty sure. It's How do you that. know that? I don't remember the details enough to say so, but I know he definitely says he was a bandit. Yeah. Yeah, I had thought he was like the original origin of the Motley Crew, but that's not or Irregulars. That's not. <laughs> <I asked laughs> the possible. Motley Irregulars. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I really like that line from Tolvog about uh, the, the lion being right with the, the uh, rebellion. Yeah. So speaking about rebellions and uh, the differences between different societies, the only quote I had for this episode is in this chapter, and it's Karsa thinking to himself about the differences between the Tablor and the Lowlanders. He says, The Lowlanders filled this world like vermin, 
More tribes than the Tablor had thought possible, and it was clear that none liked each other. While that was a sentiment Karsa well understood, for tribes should dislike each other, it was so obvious that, among the Lowlanders, there was no sense of any other sort of loyalty. Karsa was Yurid, Yurid, but he was also Tablor. The Lowlanders seemed so obsessed with their differences that they had no con comprehension of what unified them. A flaw that could be exploited. That last line is so good. <laughs> I know. It's, it's in a different paragraph, but I added it in to the quote just because I love it so much. I, I add that one too, just the last part. Well, so what's interesting is that at the beginning of the book, Karsa is thinking that, you know, Tevlers are so mighty and they he can go out to the world and like he'll conquer and bring glory back or whatever. But he didn't realize how big the world was. Right. <laughs> um, so that was an interesting just like revelation for him. Yet he still thinks, no, you know what? I, I can still do this. I can take him. <laughs> I can still talk her. Uh, yeah, he, he he figures that Silver Lake has grown in the, the past couple centuries. They probably added a farmer, too. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, there's a whole big wide world out there. Yes. There's a big wide world, and tribalism is a problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh. And he hasn't even encountered, like, all the various gods nope. that are at play like he's his world his like understanding of the world is so tiny but he uh he gets to the heart of it at least um and i think i think this this these chapters show a very good <clears throat> the sins of at least some tribal societies not all um and the sins of civilization because with civilization comes slavery and money and those kinds of things and domination. Yeah. And Tebler, they would just kill their enemies, right? They wouldn't They wouldn't enslave them, but it's different out here. Yeah, he sees enslaving as um, disgusting, yeah. right? Like, it's it's not a thing you do. People should not be in chains. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do we want to do listener questions? I got a question. Mm -hmm. what, what's your... How, how do you like Carsa? I think I kind of answered that. So, you... Ambivalent? Um, I'm actually a little sympathetic at times, but um, I don't hate the guy. I don't hate the character. I don't love him. I guess ambivalent may be the right word. Yeah. Yes. He's he grew on me. He grew on me. <laughs> yeah. He grows As, a lot. Yeah. He's very charismatic, and he is a man of his word and he does what he sets out to do even though it looks impossible and there's a lot to admire in that well we'll see if he uh brings the tablor united uh to start conquering mm. that's part of what he set out to do it is i don't see how he's gonna do that working for however long in cheeks rebellion so right well because he um he had a chance to like start going back home right but he's like you know what i'm not ready mm -hmm. yet i I still got more to do here. Yeah. Whatever it is. Well, and sometime uh, between the end of this chapter four and when we see him in Dead House Gates, he gets faith in Shaikh. Um, some, some, yeah. Definitely more yeah. than Liam. <laughs> yeah. He has, uh, he has an ambitious goal, but he's not overconfident. He's not underestimating the challenges he's going to face. He knows he needs to 
grow and learn things. Mm. Listener questions? Yeah. I, we got a lot from Tormig. The first one, how did you feel about the single point of view decision? I liked it. It made it pretty easy reading. Easy reading. Did you find it boring at all compared to the others? No, I, I thought the whole thing was really exciting. Like, yeah, mm. it's fun. Uh, the first uh, time I read it, I was disappointed, but I like it this time around. <laughs> uh, I, of course, had to picture the, you know, the gif of Barney Stinson from How I Met Your Mother going, challenge accepted. Because, mm. uh, you know, Erickson wrote this in response to criticism that he couldn't stick to a single point of view. Yeah. Which he, also, you know, yeah. sort of does stick to a single point of view. There are a couple scenes that are written in third person omniscient, yeah. but, you know. And also from, like, the Seven perspective. And no, those are yeah. not written from the Just, perspective of the Seven. They're third-person omniscient. It's like a camera pointed at the at the Seven. Sure. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it was fine. I mean, it, it made the reading experience um, faster. You're not having to reorient, <laughs> like, okay, where are we again? Which character are we following? Pretty linear. Um. Yeah, when, when I read this first, I, I, I've mentioned this before, but I, I had taken a long break, like a year or more after Memories of Ice, and had no memory of Toblakai and no memory of Leoman. <laughs> uh, so the entire time I was kind of just like thinking, where is he going with this? I don't know this guy. I don't know any of these people because my memory was so fuzzy. And, uh, well, well somebody, uh, Somebody worded their description of Carsa Orlong to me way too succinctly uh, when I had only read chapter one. And their very succinct description of him, like, pointed a giant red arrow right at Thelemin Toblakai for me. So I spent the entire time being like, how's he going to get from here to, you know, Leoman and Shaikh, you know? So they were like, oh, a giant that, you know. That likes to kill children or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, <laughs> like, ah. Did you uh, spot Leoman before the reveal? Yes. Uh, but, but, you know, because I knew it was Toblakai, though. Mm -hmm. Panda? No. no. I mean, the, the number of times the dude's, like, blue eyes was mentioned, I was like, okay, this must be a clue to something. <laughs> but then I was too lazy. To, <laughs> we only know Leoman from, like, a few pages of Dead House Gates. <laughs> oh, I actually have a question that's sort of related to this. What do you guys think of Carson not telling Leoman or the Rebellion his name? Because he says a lot in these previous chapters, I, Carsa Orlong, will do these things. And it's very important to him that everyone recognizes him, Carsa Orlong, as this great leader slash guy who can do things. Mm. Think he learned humility? <laughs> maybe. Or the value of anonymity? <laughs> Or maybe he's having an identity crisis. Yeah, wouldn't you? Human? Yeah. Do you even remember what your species is really called? <laughs> yeah, his face is also kind of shattered. Interesting. Mm. Okay, so shall we say goodbye? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it seems like we covered a lot of the listener questions already in our mm -hmm. discussion. Yeah, so sorry, listener questions. We're not ignoring you. We just we answered them naturally. Yeah, we don't have much more to say on the topic. 
That concludes this episode. If you want to join the read-along and or contribute listener questions, check us out in the Legendarium's Discord. You can find the link on thelegendarium.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at GreenTeamPod for updates and fun times. Check out the Legendarium podcast for Wheel of Time, Cosmere, Lord of the Rings content, and so much more. Thank you for, to our panelists, Ashman, Yasada's a boy, and Pfeil Panda. I'm here in Van. Until next time. Pew, 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 pew. Peace. <laughs> pew, pew. Adios. Adios.